I'm Mike Walsh, and you're listening to a special edition of the Between Worlds podcast, brought to you by Orange Business Services. Well, I'm sitting having a cup of coffee with uh, Frederick Janssen, who's a director at Siemens responsible for strategy and innovation in IT infrastructure. Uh, Frederick, I really enjoyed listening to your talk today at Hello World. It was, it was fantastic. Thank you. Um, and uh, welcome from my side. <laughs> yes. You know, Siemens is a company that has always been uh, in an industrial giant and well respected for its engineering prowess. But increasingly, it's becoming more and more relevant in this new um, digital data-driven world because of the way it's rethinking um, very traditional processes. And one of the concepts that's being spoken about a lot, everyone from CEOs to analysts, is uh, this idea of Industry 4.0. And I guess in, in your role, this has uh, some special implications for the way we rethink enterprise architecture. Um, so could you just maybe give us a bit of context about what that concept means and how it's influenced your job? Of course. I mean, um, Industry 4.0 is uh, for us the revolution in manufacturing, if you will. Industry 4.0 um, can be seen as um, a totally new setup of uh, producing certain services or products. And um, Siemens was already very early in time uh, using the term digital twin. Yes. Because uh, we need to make sure that during the conceptual phase already, we have some tangible, visible results where the engineers, the architects, the customers can be involved in how the product will look like. And you can already during that phase and later on as you are going into a simulation, production, after production support, and of course quality controls, always relate back to the digital twin and you can easily make sure that um, changes to the product can be made on the fly and everybody is already able to see how this will look in reality later on. Yeah, I, I was uh, spoke at an event uh, for one of your product lines, PLM World, a, a while back. And the thing that really blew me away is that not only were these tools giving engineers and designers the ability to digitally conceive products, changes that they made actually had downstream implications for the setup of production processes as well. Absolutely, yes. I mean, you can, you can simulate the entire production process and you can see what throughput you are maybe able to manage and where you have to tweak your production processes or machines to increase the throughput, to reduce the time to market, to just uh, be more agile. Um, to respond to customers' wishes and demands. So as, I guess, industry moves to this idea of data-driven manufacturing, what kind of pressures did that put on you, you know, in the IT function to rethink the way you were delivering and provisioning services? Well, basically, um, of course, the data-driven manufacturing process, as the name already the term suggests, <laughs> it just produces a hell of data. So we have to cope with the sheer amount of data. We need to find clever ways to store the data and to provision the data wherever it's required. Right. So it's about transferring data, it's about storing data, compressing data, encrypting data, also a very important aspect. And therefore we are using a variety of different solutions um, to make sure that during the entire life cycle of data, um, we always um, reach the best possible quality level and also security. 
in the past to solve something like that, it would mean essentially running all your own data centers and you know provisioning everything in a very proprietary way. But one of the things that I found really fascinating is that you've actually sort of brought together a dream team of 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 other external suppliers and you know cloud-based providers and um, you know it's a very different. I guess, architecture to what you would have done five or ten years ago. Absolutely, yes. I mean, you can't survive on your own. You need to partner. You need to have strong partners, a good selection of partners. And uh, it's about orchestrating the teamwork in a certain way that uh, you are able to deliver in an environment where everybody says it's less complex because it's in the <laughs> cloud, but it's actually, and in fact, much more complicated. The, the orchestration is the, the complexity orchestration now, right? is the complexity, exactly. Right. And um, I mean, you are also, or we are seeing ourselves in a changing environment because naturally in the past, Siemens would have said where to host, how to host, and also at what cost. Nowadays, the customer tells us where, I w where they want to have their data being stored hmm. or which kind of cloud they want to use. Maybe they have already made some decisions in terms of platforms, what are they using? Are they going for a maybe, maybe Siemens MindSphere or either GE Predix kind of um, big data um, platform where they can later on reuse the data um, they are ingesting, ingesting over time? And um, that is very much influencing the decision-making process. And what have been some of the other big sort of mental shifts um, as, as you've gone from sort of mass production and manufacturing to a mass personalized model? But, you know, one of the other things that you were talked about that I found fascinating was this changing ideas about the way we think about power and power generation and the way we think about maintenance. Yes, I mean, um, if you look at power generation, um, in the past we had a very much centralized uh, power generation which was in the hands of only a few companies. Mm. Nowadays, you find tens if not hundreds of different ideas, products, and opportunities where you can produce power. And that, of course, puts challenges on the grid. You need to have a smart grid. You need to handle um, the, the uh, power consumption. You need to transfer power in the, I would say, right timing or with the right timing. And it's also about storing data. And that has very much to do with prediction because you need to know where is the data consumed when. And taking this into account, this is not only a change from central to decentral, but it's also really digitalization at its best. So this is literally digitalization of electricity? Literally. Yeah, I agree. Yes. I mean, if this ever come full circle, I mean, uh, like a hundred years ago when, when they first started electrifying factories, there was sort of a VP of electricity. Like electricity in the way you handle power generation was considered a, a form of strategic innovation. Absolutely. And that's exactly uh, one example of commoditization. Because um, I think already a hundred years ago, you wouldn't ever have been ca taking care of your power supply in a certain factory hmm. or in in a company environment. That changed and now we have like the backwards approach um, where power generation is very much decentralized but the consumption in itself didn't change. Right. So it's it's just a, a change in the in the back end which the user, the, the consumer of power in the end will not realize.
but there's a lot of technology involved and this is digitalization happening in real time. Yeah, I mean, I was amazed at one of the early use cases of you know, the machine learning from uh, the DeepMind at Google was actually to look at the power consumption of their data centers. And just by using you know, pattern recognition, they were able to significantly reduce usage. Correct, absolutely. Yeah. Um, now we see different other um, options or use cases in Siemens as well. There's uh, plenty of use cases in building technology where we are using sensor data mm. um, of the building um, to like, merge the data and later on try to derive some optimizations um, to better utilize the building's power or to maybe optimize the power consumption overall and therefore that's one of the biggest goals of Siemens in a vision of 2020 um, to get carbon neutral um, and buildings are of course also producing a lot of carbon and um, there Siemens is investing a lot of money and also artificial intelligence and deep learning um, to make sure that uh, we are really understanding the data and that we are turning it into smart information. When you looked at what your leadership um, at Siemens wanted to achieve you know, with the transformation of the business, what did you decide were the key IT projects that you had to prioritize in the next few years? So from an infrastructure perspective, um, we definitely see that uh, the requirements of our business units are literally going through the roof. Yeah. So uh, they want everything at that point in time, wherever they come up with an idea, and uh, they, they cannot accept and will not accept that they are going to be slowed down by an enterprise IT organization. Did they even fight the idea that they still needed an IT organization? Because I mean, they must be themselves advanced technologists. Very true. I mean, um, you, you have to have uh, like a good um, argument and a good selling proposition to still get your services embedded into the products of Siemens. Because otherwise, um, there is plenty of other partners who would be keen on getting these kind of uh, hosting um, uh, yeah, um, awards. And um, in this case, I would definitely come back to your uh, original question. We decided to make sure that uh, we get a best-of-breed infrastructure setup, that we are modernizing um, the, the entire landscape to make sure that we are set up in a way to fully support uh, cloud native, that we are having everything on board which we need to handle uh, mobile, mobile apps, mobile app deployment, and um, that we are offering end-to-end um, -end automation. I think that's one of the key aspects. That, Is uh, this um, auto, um, automation in terms of IT provisioning? In terms of IT provisioning, but also in terms of uh, like billing, reporting, um, user interaction. So the entire like process chain of ITIL has to be fully end-to-end. -end and virtualized. And virtualized, obviously, yeah. um, wherever applicable. And um, I think these changes led to a situation where we are now more in a consultative approach. Mm. So we can help the business making sure that they use the best possible infrastructure to host their specific application and to also from the very first day on optimize the network traffic, optimize the security technology which is used to 
um, not end up later on with bigger issues which you have to then on short notice resolve. Right, because I mean, you're, you know, just like in any company, the business unit can go and contract directly with Amazon Web Services, right? But you've, you've already thought out a lot of the issues and you've solved a lot of the problems, you know, with identity management and security and, and, and other things, which essentially allows them to not have to reinvent the wheel. Absolutely. This is our selling proposition and this is, from my point of view, what every um, CIO or um, infrastructure leader, IT leader has to think about how to position themselves towards the business that they are not seen as the guys who are slowing down things. Mm. They need to be seen as the, I would say, experts in operating the business. Mm. Because, I mean, putting together an application, doing some fancy stuff is one thing. But then operating it for years. At scale. At scale. Mm -hmm. That is the, I would say, important thing you have to really be aware of when it comes to the decision-making processes where to host things. And we have already seen application projects which were set up in a public cloud environment. Later on, it turned out that based on the sensitivity of the data, the customer wants a different hosting environment. And uh, it was built so natively in the cloud that we were unable to transform the application. Mm. So we had to rebuild it from scratch. These are exactly the examples which you definitely could avoid. You mentioned earlier that, it, that a lot of the complexity in a 21st century business now is not essentially running the systems, it's the orchestration of the different partners. So well, what have been some of the issues that your IT function has been able to think about and address that you know, has created value for the business units to avoid having to do themselves? So let me start that way. Um, our biggest learning was you need totally different skills when it comes to that kind of new uh, working environment. Hmm. So uh, people who were used to like manage a provider, a static environment, who were not thinking in a holistic way, end-to-end -end process or product, um, were in the beginning not able to cope with these new challenges. So we had to go through a, I would say, reskilling initiative to make sure that we are identifying people who are able um, to change and others who maybe would not fit into that new kind of approach hmm. and find them other uh, jobs, other tasks for them, where still plenty of it, but you, you somehow need to figure out who is capable of driving that change and orchestrating, managing that environment and also acting with the partners in a way that everybody understands its own contribution. Because if you have a network of partners, but none of the partners really oversees the entire solution, they cannot perform well. When you're interviewing someone uh, to try and find someone who's got that agile mindset to join your team, what do you look for? Like, what are some of the I guess the signifiers that this is the person with the right kind of mental framework? Interesting question. So, um, I mean, basically, we try to identify people who are very open-minded and who are not the super expert in one single thing. Because right. they need to be a bit more general in terms of what is IT in offering these days? How can you use it? And if people are already trying to think along certain use cases which come up to their mind. Always trying to go for a solution and not talking <laughs> about problems. 
that is to me always a good indication that people might fit into that new world. Right. Because I too often hear from people that there's problems. Well, they are here to solve the problems. We don't need to get solutions and we need to get solutions faster than our competitors. So therefore, that is one of the major skills we need. And the other thing is that um, it's even more important these days, even if everybody is talking about digital, that people are also able to communicate with each other. So I would say intercultural and personal skills are really very, very important because otherwise you will also not be really successful in executing big, big and large complex projects. And, and this definitely translates into one of the extraordinary things you and your team did, which was the, the, the speed of deployment in the recent transformation of your ERP systems. Can you talk a little bit about that journey and I guess the scale of what you tried to do and how you were able to do it so quickly? Yes. So, I mean, we did undertake a very, very big uh, change migrating all SAP ERP systems from Oracle to SAP HANA. Right. And um, our CIO asked uh, the entire team to migrate 150 systems in less than 12 months. <laughs> in the beginning, everybody said, well, that's a crazy idea, we will fail. But um, in the end, we said, let's give it a try. Hmm. And um, I think also one of the big changes is for business, which you know, which you have already executed several times, which is only changing in an incremental way, you might have a perfect plan. And then the discussion around executed in an agile way is not adding value. If you have a perfect plan, just go execute the perfect plan. Hmm. In this case, we were far away from having a perfect plan. And um, therefore we decided to um, execute the project in an agile fashion. And um, we did two to three week sprints together with SAP, together with Atos, which is our service uh, provider. Hmm. And um, we have managed after only two and a half to three months to get really into a performance mode where literally the engine was running and we could just add more load to the teams and they were able in a record time to transform the systems. And what was also a crucial point for us, we involved the customers, so the end users of the systems from the very first day on. Hmm. I mean, that's also one of the patterns or the, I would say, rules in an agile project involve the user. And um, so we did uh, involve the users and uh, we received in the beginning, of course, also a lot of uh, critical uh, feedbacks. But over time, they built up trust into the new environment and they saw the benefits. They saw that calculations, which in the past took like five minutes, were done in 10 seconds. And, and I guess a great advantage of this approach was that going into the transformation, you didn't know what you didn't know. Yes. Um, so the ability to be able to very quickly iterate around that meant you didn't have to wait for the perfect plan. Absolutely, yes. And um, I mean, as we were introducing the new uh, database or the uh, changed environment, um, we also saw that uh, there's users with a certain frustration because they wanted things to be much faster in the past mm. already, but IT couldn't deliver. And therefore also their mindset and the image of IT could be changed during that process, which was for us a very important observation uh, because we could somehow win them back. 
Mm. Yeah. And I think um, we need to have more of such projects where we are able to win back either our own employees or customers, internal customers, or in other projects, our end customers. So the real Siemens um, product customers. SAP HANA is an interesting test case because it's not just a different technology that's faster, it's a, it's a totally different way of working. And it allows the business users to potentially you know, change their framework for making decisions. So what did you observe in your interactions with the business as they started to evolve? How did the business change as they started to use this kind of platform? So first of all, um, I mean, everybody made his own experiences and figured out after a very short period of time that uh, they can do now much more. So they came back to IT and said, well, we need to talk about that because uh, now we have this and this and that in mind, uh, which we would like to implement. So we have had a series of uh, follow-up projects uh, which were implemented where we just uh, tried to further automize um, certain transactions, certain um, uh, yeah, monthly or daily tasks. And um, we were able to figure out a lot of, um, I would say, process deficiencies. Hmm. And these process deficiencies are now over time ironed out. Um, and. Uh, we are convinced that uh, the introduction of the technology was like triggering that change. The other thing I'm really interested in is, um, you know, the, the work that uh, Siemens is doing around MindSphere, your sort of open IoT operating system. And I mean, the Internet of Things is a, is a concept that many companies are trying to think about at the moment. And of course, there's many issues with um, security and how you manage the data. But this is particularly important for Siemens because it's sort of at the heart of this new vision for a data-driven manufacturing world. Yes. So how is the embrace of IoT? Well, what kind of issues is that raised for, for the IT teams? So, I mean, there's, there's plenty of issues, but maybe let's start with the issue of uh, data sovereignty or um, data security. I think where Siemens uh, decided to take a slightly different approach compared to like other competitors, just to name GE, um, MindSphere can be hosted wherever the customer likes us to host it. There's, of course, a central MindSphere instance, which we are offering, public mm. cloud-based. But if the customer says, no, I'm not ready for that step, I want to have the data which I uh, import or ingest into MindSphere in my own on-prem data center, we can offer that. Mm. So it is a customer's choice or a decision they have to make. And um, of course, it's not only about storing and processing the data once it is in the MindSphere, we also need to take care that it is securely ingested. And um, that is something um, where Siemens invented a so-called nanobox, where we are collecting all data at the edge, and we are creating a secure channel between the MindSphere destination or target and um, the source. And that is permanently controlled right. and also monitored from a cyber defense center perspective. And it's not flowing over the open internet. Of course not. <laughs> <laughs> um, so therefore, we can we can really guarantee secure end-to-end -end transportation of the data um, from the IoT sensors um, or devices uh, over the internet or intranet of a certain company 
um, to the mindsphere. This sort of approach is going to be more important um, increasingly, as, as you've said yourself, that the, you know, the internet becomes the next corporate network and being able to blend you know, these, these different networks and, and different technologies. Um, I mean, how do, you, how do leaders start to think about this issue? I mean, how, how much knowledge does a business leader need of, of some of the sensitivities around the way these networks are designed and managed? So in a perfect world, leaders should know nothing about it, um, <laughs> but uh, we are not yet there. Um, so basically why we came up with that bold statement, like the internet will be next corporate network, is just purely the fact that more and more traffic is already going over the internet. Hmm. And uh, I mean, some examples are here, of course, uh, the, the continuous deployment of more and more SaaS applications. Hmm. But on the other hand, and we were discussing that already a few minutes ago, IoT. I mean, as the term already suggests, Internet of Things, this is using natively the Internet. And uh, it is not a clever idea to decide that these devices would have a back channel to communicate with a central instance which is not using the Internet. And I think it has to do with the right level of security, which you can of course assure if you are deciding for the right products and if you are getting rid of flat networks. Hmm. You need to go for micro-segmentation and you need to make sure that uh, there is a clear identity and access management and access scheme applied, which is handling all connectivities on a micro-channel basis. So literally only one-on-one -on -one connectivities are allowed. And um, I think this is the game changer, which um, definitely makes the vast majority of all corporate intranets obsolete over time. And we would even end up with higher security than before. Right. As we start to sort of conceptualize this idea of a digital factory, it sounds really sexy, you know, and I heard a wonderful story about just a an instance in China where they essentially just took a, a factory from Germany and sort of copy-pasted the, the entire process in China. But there's, a, there's some increasing risks with this sort of model as well. And, uh, you know, it was quite a few years now that, um, you know, cyber weapons like uh, that, that were designed originally to penetrate the nuclear reactors in Iran were sort of successfully able to cripple production. So uh, how do you start to, you know, battle harden your digital factories against you know, the risks of cyber attack? Well, so what are the obvious points of failure? So the, the, I think the obvious points of failure are, of course, that you are using um, software and uh, the software might be based on open source or I would say common vendors um, software, hmm. which here and there, as you know, has some security vulnerabilities. And um, I think one of the first topics here is you can be pretty secure these days still if you do your homework, if you really make sure that everything is on the latest patch level, on the latest release, et cetera, et cetera. You're not running but Windows 95 on your MRI machine. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's exactly a yeah, good point. I mean, um, that's exactly the balance you have to take. Yeah. If there is something which is already running since 20 years and somehow um, the customer and also the respective business unit is saying, well, we better don't change it because there's also no interest, none, none, none interest from our side, none from the customer to change it. 
So keep it as is and accept the risk. And that's also something which we are um, propagating very actively in Siemens, that we understand the risk and that we either mitigate it or we accept it. Mm -hmm. But then it has to be a conscious decision. And when it comes to factories, of course, there you have to do, um, I would say, a segregation approach to really ring fence the core components that they are not able to communicate to the outside world, hmm. that they are pretty much isolated. Air-gapped. <laughs> exactly. And um, then you have different other layers which have to anyhow consume with the outs uh, co communicate with the outside world. Uh, for instance, logistic processes. Hmm. So no, no, none of the factories is working without logistical uh, processes. Um, goods which are um, well, the whole uh, supply chain is becoming the entire supply chain is mean, virtualized. Yeah. That is somehow still exposed, of course, um, but you need to take the risk because to not expose it and therefore not integrate with certain other IT systems is not an option. And this layered model, including understanding the risks and managing actively the risks, that is for us the key. Uh, to be successful in the end and to have also a trustful relationship with the customers because if they are aware of the fact that there might be certain risks attached to that and yet they know it is much better than later on having some incident going on and everybody says, says why how could that ever happen um, if I would have known that this could be the case I would never have agreed to it. Well Frederick it's been wonderful talking to you thank you for your insights and thank you for being on the show. It was a pleasure thank you. You've been listening to Between Worlds. For more episodes and information on how to subscribe to our podcast, please visit www.mike-walsh.com slash betweenworlds.